You're listening to Marfa Public Radio. I'm Sally Bove. Every Friday from now until July, we'll be answering one of your West Texas Wonders questions. That's our series where you ask us anything you want to know about the place we call home, and we put answers on the radio. Today, we're tackling a question that came in from an anonymous listener in Alpine. They want to know what the deal is with all the in-tow junk cars they see on the interstate in Texas, whether they're headed to Mexico, and if so, what happens to them there. Joining me in the studio is someone who reported on this very thing for Marfa Public Radio several years ago, and that's reporter Lauren Madelon. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure, Sally. Let's just start with these in-tow caravans of cars and trucks and sometimes buses um, that we often see along Interstate 10 in Texas. Can you describe what they look like for listeners who might not be familiar? Well, you'll see cars that we would consider in the United States as absolute junk. And there is actually a, an insurance definition of what's junk, and that is when a car, uh, the repair of that car would cost more than 80% of the vehicle's retail value. Huh. So you can see these cars that have been picked up at an auction. They take place in California, Arizona, and Texas. And what they look like is cars that we might not want in the United States, loaded to the gills with toys, motor oil, construction, bedding, towels, clothing, food that are loaded up so that they can bring back that junk car, fix it up, sell it for a modest profit, maybe 1000 to $1,500, sometimes $2,000, and then they'll sell what they're bringing with them, all those articles that, that I just mentioned. There's a steady demand, I can tell you that, because, again, what we consider junk is something that's treasured down there. Yeah, I wanted to ask because it's sort of amazing to me that given the value of the U.S. dollar um, relative to Central American currencies, that people can travel to the U.S., um, buy these cars and trucks that are too old or too broken down for U.S. consumers and sell them um, in Central America and still make a profit that makes it worth it. What is that about? If you can do it enough and bring back enough of these, the clothing, you know, the motor oil, the car parts, the construction parts, they can actually make a decent living. And they will pay the equivalent of American currency. In other words, if, if they want to make a $1,000 profit, you will get $1,000 in the local currency in, say, Guatemala or El Salvador or Honduras. I understand most of the people transporting these cars from the U.S. down to Mexico and Central America cross into Mexico through the Rio Grande Valley between Reynosa and Matamoros on the Mexican side, uh, even though it kind of extends their journey. Why is that? Two reasons. One's economic, one has to do with security. If they go in the interior of Mexico, there are a lot of toll roads. Toll roads are expensive. It may not sound like much to an American citizen, but when you do this, say, 12 times a year and you add the cost of tolls, it becomes economically prohibitive. The second reason is security. If you go on the outside, you traverse the, the Atlantic coast, the Caribbean coast of, of Mexico, um, you're less likely, not guaranteed, but less likely to be shaken down. I should point out that it's been well documented. I've seen it with my own eyes, and many other reporters um, who have been there have seen this, where Mexican police will wait for these transmigrantes because they know that they're an easy target, and they know that they're powerless. So they will avoid uh, or try to evade those ad hoc checkpoints, if you will. Many of the drivers prefer to travel in caravans, and sometimes you won't necessarily see it here in rural West Texas, but you might see as many as 50 vehicles by the time they all sort of congregate at the border. And that's to discourage holdup men. We talked about the police, but they're actually private citizens who do the same thing, unfortunately. So I met a man, Jorge Pineda. He told me that he drives day and night, that he sleeps inside whatever vehicle he's picked up in the United States. 
And once, and this has happened so sad, once he said that he finally got to the Guatemalan border, to the town of Tecunamán, where he was going to deliver the car, and he was robbed at gunpoint. Not by police, he said, but by private citizens. So it's extremely risky. But obviously there's an economic imperative at play because this is a continual you know, rhythm of life that we can see unfolding right here on the streets of rural West Texas. And you did a story on this back in 2015. Can you just tell me about um, what, what spurred you along to do that story? You know what? I like to maintain a healthy level of curiosity. And I was working here at Marfa Public Radio. And every day I used to look out the window here and I would see these cars loaded to the gills pulling up at stripes. So I walked across and I started to listen before I made that move to try and initiate contact. And I could distinctly hear a non-Mexican, Latin American, Central American accent. So I meant, okay, this is, something's happening here. So I started asking, where are you going? Why are you doing it? And where did you get these cars? And they started telling me exactly what I told you. This is our business. This is what we do. And I should point out, uh, lest anybody question this, that most of the people that I met were, had legal papers to be in the United States. They were not residents, but they had a visa to come to the States. So as I mentioned, they would come up, uh, hit Arizona, California, Texas, and then go down. Um, I think that it's, it's really interesting to, to, to see, that's what I took away from it, is how much they value that which we in the United States have thrown away. Lauren, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Sally. Originally broadcast on Marfa Public Radio in 2015, here's a story from reporter Lauren Madelon that looks at the role these vehicles, considered too old for U.S. consumers, play in the economies of entire towns in Central America and Mexico. Meet Maximo Ortiz. He's a dual citizen of Guatemala and the U.S. who lives in Tecun Uman. It's a border town where the Rio Suciate separates Mexico and North America from the Isthmus of Central America. I buy those cars at the streets, like broken cars, and I fix myself, and then that's the way I make my income. Ortiz was passing through the West Texas town of Marfa, towing two trucks lashed together filled to the brim with bicycle tires and car parts. A green tarpaulin gift-wrapped the cargo. Ortiz bought two cars in Los Angeles, another in San Diego, while a partner brought a fourth in Van Horn, Texas. He said he'd stay in the U.S., but his wife doesn't want to leave home. I have no way to work, so that's all I can do, drive and buy stuff and resell it in Guatemala. Ortiz is in a caravan snaking its way through the southwest. I buy young cars like this and fix it and bring it to Guatemala. How much does it cost you to fix it? Like this truck here, I pay $800, I spend like 100 bucks on parts. In Guatemala, like easy, 3200 But to get home, he must ford a path through Tamaulipas, the Mexican state that fronts the Texas border. Actually, in Tamaulipas state, it's bad. It's the, the bad part of Mexico for us. He crosses into Tamaulipas at Reynosa, near McAllen, in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. The Mexican army's been there for the last four years, ostensibly to combat two feuding cartels, the Gulf Cartel, and their former enforcers, the Zetas. But swaths of Tamaulipas remain under the thumb of organized crime. Ortiz says you can't tell cops from criminals. They're, they're to, they work together. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like government... Police officer, people, whatever. They took us money from us, always. They, sometimes they took a cars from us. I spoke with an American who crosses into Tamaulipas daily to manage a maquiadora, one of the thousands of border factories in Mexico producing goods for export. Well, it's certainly very intimidating. It's a no man's land. It's a wild, wild west, I guess. You know. 
The man, who asked that we not reveal his name for security reasons, says the drivers are easy prey in Mexico. The drug cartels and the human smugglers they have a lot of uh, enforcement agencies in their pocket. And uh, it's very uh, just scary to not know that when you come across one of these guys, whether he's one of the good ones or one of the bad ones. Another Guatemalan driver, Roberto Arica, says he budgets bribe money for the trip. He says organized crime charges at least $100 per vehicle for the right to cross its territory. But he says his motivation to provide for his family trumps any security concerns. I have young children and they need to eat, he says. David Wallstrom is a former community development worker in Latin America. He's seen old American cars laden with bundles of recycled paper and glass bottles as far south as Peru. Uh, Jars, bottles, here, you know, uh, it just goes into a landfill. But not there. Things that are tossed away here turn out, in some cases, to be an economic driver in some of these small towns in Latin America. Numerous drivers, most dual U.S. Guatemalan citizens like Maximo Ortiz, are making this trek. Suerte! All right, gracias. Take care of yourself. Supporting the economy on one slice of the Guatemala-Mexico border with cars no one wants here. I'm Lorne Madelon in Marfa, Texas.